0: DiscerningHearts.com presents Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors. I'm your host, Chris McGregor, and I am delighted to be joined by Christopher Karstens, who is the Director of the Office for Sacred Worship in the Diocese of La Crosse, Wisconsin, and who is an instructor at Mundelein's Liturgical Institute and an editor of the Adoramos Bulletin. With Christopher Karstens, we go Inside the Pages of A Devotional Journey into the Mass, How Mass Can Become a Time of Grace, Nourishment, and Devotion. Published by Sophia Institute Press. Chris, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having
0: me. This is the book I have been waiting for. Thank you very much for finally somebody putting these incredible thoughts pen to paper. Thank you.
1: Oh, my pleasure! I'm glad uh, glad I was asked to do it.
0: It's a work that I think is desperately needed right now in the life of the of the Catholic Church, particularly in the area of new evangelization. When you talk about having a devotion and a deeper appreciation of the Mass, essentially, wasn't it, Chris, that John Paul, he he wasn't necessarily talking about going out and it, converting protestants and other members into the faith that's basic evangelization but the new evangelization was to help catholics become more aware of what they've already received
1: Right, uh, he meant as new evangelization it was directed towards those who had met Christ once upon a time but whose relationship with him had kind of been gone lukewarm and uh, as he would say and so so most of as far as I can tell most of his long papacy was about identifying places where we can come to encounter the living and luminous face of Jesus and he would go on to say that it's in the Eucharist it's in the mass where that encounter can become—it's not the only place we can encounter him, but it's the place where that encounter can be most real and efficacious and fruitful for
0: us. Particularly as a director of liturgy, someone who has that liturgical theology behind you. I mean, you have an incredible appreciation of what I'm sure the, the, the Vatican Council in there is really teaching us right off the bat, uh, was that the Eucharist is the source in the summit of our prayer, of our life, isn't it?
1: It is. It's uh, it's kind of the, it's the powerhouse that uh, that drives our uh, Christian life throughout uh, the week. It's the place from where we get the energy to go out in uh and live in the in the difficult world sometimes, and it's the place where we bring back to all of our prayers, works, joys, and sufferings, and sacrifices, and worries, and happinesses uh, back to the mass, so that we can uh, that we can give them. Uh, through Jesus to, to God the Father. So yes, it's the, it's the hinge and the pinnacle and the source and the summit of, of the whole Christian life. So it's obviously very important.
0: I think where this book is so vital, Chris, the, a devotional journey into the Mass, I think you really begin to really tap at the heart of what it is to be a sacramental people and that need for the mystagogical, catechesis. We need mystagogia. But most of us don't even know what mystagogia is.
1: Well, we might not know the term, but I think maybe we're familiar with the concept. But, you know, as you say, what's, what comes before uh, mystagogical catechesis is an appreciation of the sacramental nature of the liturgy. And this sacramental principle um, that is kind of foundational for you know, not just the book, but our, our participation in the Mass, is that uh, the unseen God in his grace and in his power and in his work, becomes manifest to us in sacramental signs and symbols. All those things that we can see, smell, taste, touch, and hear, that's the medium uh, which we contact God. If we can make this analogy, we, I think we've all seen the, uh, the creation of Adam on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, and these two fingers between God and man are reaching out, and the gap between those fingers our sacraments they're the things that allow us to touch god and god us so once we have a you know an appreciation of the sacramental reality of the liturgy then we can be led and that's what mystagogy means it means being led from what you can see to what you can't see and if we're at least paying attention you know we can we can detect, you know, the, the incense and we can hear the words and the music, although this stuff requires some attention, too. But what mystagogy does is it leads you beyond and within those things that you can sense to, to Jesus, who's waiting to, uh, uh, to see you you know, kind of in the in the vein of uh, John Paul II. There, there, there's a real person there who wants to see you, and uh, that's where we encounter him in the Masses, signs and symbols.
0: For many of us, Catholics, particularly who may have been baptized at birth and then had a period of catechesis through their childhood and may not have entered more deeply into that understanding of what they're encountering at Mass, it, it can be a more of a perfunctory type of thing we're called to. You know, we, we have to go to Mass. And we just have not had the opportunity, can we say, to receive the graces that are available when we're in the real presence of Jesus Christ.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what I wanted uh, the book to be able to do is, you know, if if we have to go to Mass on 55 minutes on a Sunday morning, well, why don't we make it uh, the most powerful uh, and grace-filled moment of the whole week? If we're going to take the time to do it, we may as well, you know, as we hear and perhaps say, get something out of it. And that's what I hope the the book, A Devotional Journey, can do is that very thing. But you're right, there's a certain type of formation um, that we need to have to, to go to mass. And this is not a particularly Catholic thing. It's a very human thing too. Uh, take, for example, baseball. If you're a lover of, uh, of baseball or, um, or, or any sport really, I mean, there's a certain type of initiation you have to have into to the game so that when you hear the announcer say, well, if you're scoring along at home, that's a 6-4-2. Well, What does that mean? Well, your dad, your friends teach teach you that that's a double play where the shortstop fields the ball and he sends it to second base and over to first, or the infield fly rule or a balk or something like that. Any and all human activities require a certain type of formation and initiation, and it's the same with the mass. And the type of initiation – and formation that uh, we need to have really to um, to mine the Mass uh, at its depths and to encounter Christ is this sacramental and mystagogical formation.
0: Speak in the book of the spiritual meaning of the eight elements of the Mass, and you use that as opportunities for us to be able to you know just ponder those and to maybe as we enter into that great mystery, that great celebration that take time with each of those moments?
1: Yeah, well, they have to be done um, very intentionally. When the council talked about active part- uh, participation, it was this full and conscious participation. So we need to we need to do it with um, eyes and ears wide open, with, uh, with our mind engaged. You know, everything worships God according to its own nature. And so there's this famous canticle from the book of Daniel about sun and moon blessing the Lord and dew and rain blessing the Lord and frost and chill blessing the Lord. Everything blesses the Lord and worships the Lord and encounters the Lord according to its own nature. So dew does it by doing what dew does, being dewy and wet. We do it by using our minds and our bodies. And so uh, everything we do uh, needs to be it has to engage uh, the, the the whole person, the whole his 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 intellect, his will, his senses, and when those become a little bit more fine tuned, then the mass can you know the words can start to pop and the music can start to to ring a little bit better. We start to hear heaven and see Christ and all of these things.
0: I love the fact that you use that very first element we encounter, that walking through the church door. We're, we're, well, actually, maybe even it's just preparing ourselves to drive the car and park it in the parking lot, and then we're walking towards it. Because we're not just walking towards it, we're walking towards someone, aren't we?
1: Right. Well, you know, if we believe what Jesus said, uh, I am the door, then then yeah. that then the, What do we make of that, though? Um, I heard, I've read recently in a book, you know, it's not that we look for a a doorknob on jesus or something like that but what does he mean that he is the door and when we when we kind of when we hear what he says and when we walk in through the church door mystagogically what we can recall is that uh, in all of the history of salvation uh, the doors actually are very important uh, when Adam and Eve were uh, expelled from the garden, God placed an angel there to guard the door, to guard the way with a fiery sword sword between them and the tree of life. When the chosen people were about to make their exodus out of Israel, they had to put blood of an unblemished lamb on the door that identified uh, them as belonging to God and protected those who were behind the door. Uh, when they eventually made uh, the temple, they built the temple. There's all of these psalms about uh, going, in his, going within the, its gates, giving thanks, and how wonderful it was to be in, uh, in the courts through the gateways of uh, the temple. And, of course, uh, an image that we might be familiar with is the pearly gates of heaven. Uh, when John has this vision of what heaven is like, and he describes the gates, he says they're made from a single pearl. So when Jesus comes along then and says, I am the door, you know, what can it mean for us? It's is the, the door, the access on the way to the tree of life. It's the door that identifies us with Christ. It's the door uh, behind which we are protected within uh, the temple, who's Jesus' body. It's the gateway to heaven. It can become a true encounter with Christ. So you park your car, you get out. And at least in our little church in rural Wisconsin, uh, we're parked right next to the side door. And I always insist that uh, you know the kids and I we always go around to the front door. And they probably think I'm weird, but uh, that's okay for now. I, I try to explain what it is that's happening is that we are entering an encounter with Christ. So that door can be a sacramental sign that is, in some ways, a manifesta- manifestation of Jesus who is the temple, who's our access to the tree of life, who protects us, who leads us to heaven.
0: That beauty of the the sacramental symbols, the symbol pointing towards something else. I mean, we can walk past roses at a counter in a grocery store, and they're just roses, and they're in a bunch, and we pass them by. But when someone hands us one, and it, particularly someone that we love and it's an expression of that love. Then that same rose becomes a completely different thing. That's what I hear you saying.
1: Yeah, it's um, kind of context and how you see it is very important. I I wonder if this analogy is 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 helpful. You know, uh, these three D movies are uh, very popular now, and we've probably seen one. And you walk in, and they hand you uh, the glasses. And, you know, if, if you at some point in the movie, you take off the glasses and you look up at the screen, you can tell what's going on, but it's, it's blurry. It's not very clear. Uh, but as soon as you put on the 3D glasses, wow, the, what's happening on the screen all of a sudden has this great depth and great, uh, this amazing uh, and uh, beautiful reality. There's some... <laughs> all analogies fall short, I know, but we need something like uh, what somebody once said was a pair of mystagogues when we go to Mass (laughs) that can help us to see uh, what's truly there, right? We see the rose in the grocery store differently from how we see the rose that has been given to us. Well, we see doors in our house one way, but to see the door of the church requires this mystagogical perception. And when we can have that formed in our eyes, then, wow, all of a sudden, why would you ever go in the side door? This is an occasion to pray, to meet Jesus, to get the Mass off on at the right start.
0: In the book, the fact that these eight elements that we should be attentive to, that you do focus, particularly in the first three, on those very first moments of the mass, like us walking through the door, making the sign of the cross, and even entering into the opening prayer, because those really help us to put the world aside and to be able to fully participate.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's uh, that's precisely what uh, the church is trying to do with all of these. Uh, signs and symbols and people, investments in music and words and times and places and all of the rest—they're—they're um, they're meant to. It, it, again, I think it's—it's it's probably not original to him, but you know, John Paul would say that. Um, uh, beauty is the radiance of, of the truth, and there's the, there's truth uh, uh, personified in the Mass, and these beautiful signs and symbols are meant to draw us in. What beauty makes the truth attractive, and so all of these things, as uh, as you say, are meant to draw us in deeper and deeper and deeper to the heart of the Mass. But you know, it um, for good or ill, it it just won't work if we're not prepared to do it and willing to do it. Um, it's kind of like that, that uh, the, the gym that I pass on the way to work every day. It's guaranteed to work, but I actually have to stop in and, and do the exercises. Uh, same thing with the Mass. It can only work if, uh, if we prepare ourselves and are ready to engage.
0: We're talking to Christopher Carstens about his book, A Devotional Journey into the Mass, how Mass can become a time of grace, nourishment, and, devotion, and Christopher, I, before we continue on in our discussion, I just have to say I would hope, I would really, really hope that this becomes a standard gift that is given to anyone who is going through the RCIA and who will be uh, participating in the, the beautiful rites of the liturgy at the Easter Vigil. Because th- this, I think, is so necessary to sustain that tremendous grace that is given at that moment.
1: Well, I would certainly like that too, and you know it 's really what uh, the church has in mind by liturgical formation and liturgical education um, you You can know all there is about the history say of the various rites or how to interpret the rubrics or the skill set required for executing this the uh, the ceremony um, there's so much to know about the liturgy, but what 's so essential and uh, fundamental about this kind of sacramental understanding is that it, you don't have to be a liturgy professor or a liturgy director or a priest or work for the parish. Anybody with senses can access the beauty of the liturgy. And so that, uh, I- I- indeed, that's the type of formation that someone in RCIA should be receiving. It's the type of formation that our kids should be receiving, and really that uh, we ourselves can continue to receive all our life long.
0: I think that's beautiful that you bring this up because the celebration of the Holy Eucharist it is yes a communal action it's the, the movement of the of the body of the church and but it also is a very personal encounter in our relationship with Christ and it really manifests itself if we're open to it when it comes time for the liturgy of the word. It really is. We talk about the source and summit and the fuel. It is the the fuel for what we have come to know as true Lexio Divina, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Well, the the Lexio Divina, which has been around for centuries, but you know, as far as I can tell, is really uh, making a resurgence in the Church today. Is uh, this process of divine reading, where you know, through some uh, meditation and familiarity with the reading before we ever go to Mass. Uh, can really change us. Now, I don't know about you, but there's oftentimes where I've said, uh, praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, or thanks be to God at the end of a reading. And I have no idea what the reading just was. It oh, has yeah. been truly in one ear and mm-hmm. uh, out the other. But this uh, process of Lectio Divina, which so many encourage, what it can do is it, it, it tells you to prepare. So you know, imagine the you know, you have mass coming up this Sunday. Imagine on, on a Monday, you can do this with a whole family. This is what these practices, which, you know, certainly didn't originate with me. This is just the wisdom of the church and the saints. You can do this with a whole family. So let's say uh, collectively, you, you on, on a Monday, you read what next Sunday's reading is going to be. And then on Tuesday, you, uh, you can do this with kids very easily. You meditate on that. You say, all right, imagine yourself in that reading let's say the the next sunday's readings on the transfiguration well imagine you're along with peter james and john on the top of mount tabor then you say well what is uh, on the next day what is god trying to say to you you know when you listen to this reading and then on the next day you say well how would you respond to what god is saying to you and we, you know we uh, we we try this uh, not successfully all the time so we at least try this in the family and, and the kids say what they think and my wife says what she thinks uh, and then we, we make a resolve. Okay, so we've been on Mount Tabor. God has spoken to me. I've responded to him. What does he want me to do about that? All right, and then along comes Sunday. And we all stand, and the reading starts, and those words, will not magically, but because of the work we've done, th- those things will pop off the page and into your ear and into your heart in a way that uh, is just not really possible um, if we have no idea, what, if, if we're hearing that reading for the first time. So again, it requires some work, requires some preparation, but it's amazing how that can change your experience and make that gospel reading more fruitful. There's this line that... Um, Pope Benedict uh, brought to my attention from St. Gregory the Great. He says, the divine word grows together with the one who reads them or the one who hears them. So imagine this. When we hear this divine word, it's starting to, to mix with us a little bit. It's starting to divinize us and transform us and sanctify us. Well, this really intentional hearing, this mystagogical and sacramental hearing can have a The
0: fact that it not only have we prepared to receive and we're in- engaged hopefully, but we can't negate the activity of just the amount of grace that is present in that moment as well. I mean, this is in a moment when the whole church, the universal church, is united in this prayer and in this reading and this this proclamation of the word. So when we receive it, there's all this other, the invisible that we proclaim, there is all this invisible is happening as well, isn't it? Yeah.
1: You know, imagine too. I mean, just try this this next Sunday if you haven't already, and you'll see the type of benefit that it um, that it has for you. But now multiply that by every heart that's in that assembly. Imagine if everybody. We're hearing that word in the same way. Now multiply that by all the parishes in your diocese. Now multiply that around all the parishes and individuals around the world. Now consider that the souls in, I suppose, purgatory and even heaven are hearing this too. I mean, this is when lives can change and the world can change, and uh, Catholics and Christians can have a a true impact uh, on the world. Yeah, So it's... um, it works if we do it. It works if we do it. Death, <laughs> death taxes, and Lexio Divina are guarantees in life.
0: We'll return to Inside the Pages in just a moment.
1: Discerning Hearts provides content dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. To continue production of these podcasts, prayers and more go to discerninghearts.com and click the donate link found there or inside the free discerning hearts app to make your donation thanks
0: and god bless did you know that discerning hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite discerning hearts programming father timothy gallagher dr anthony lillis deacon james keating mike aquilina dr matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the discerning hearts free app Now we return to Inside the Pages. I remember back in the 90s when the church changed the lectionary to prevent us from saying, This is the Word of the Lord, little w. And it changed to, at the end of all the readings, what we say is, The Word of the Lord, capital W. This is the Word made flesh. He's coming just as Mary received the Word. We have the opportunity to receive the Word in that moment, don't you think?
1: Oh, we do. And this is, um, you know, in, uh, in, in the Greek language, the, the word for word is logos.
0: Um,
1: mm. This might be a, a, a peculiar I- insight, but it's really amazing. It comes from Pope uh, Benedict. So we read it in St. John's prologos, so the prologue of his gospel. In the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. So what Pope Benedict uh, will describe in his book, for example, The Spirit of the Liturgy, kind of along the lines of uh, what we heard St. Gregory the Great saying, is that when we hear this word, we get wordified, or as he would say it, we get logicized. The Logos comes to us and it transforms us yeah the the word isn't you know little scribbles on the page it's it's a person it's a person who's been uh, the second person of the trinity for all eternity and became a word an incarnate word and to hear that word logizes us logifies logifies us words us mixes together grows with us so that we begin to sound like the logos we begin to 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 hear like Jesus and speak like Jesus and resonate like Jesus out into uh, the world. But again, this, this won't happen if, it, if the word is in one ear and out the other. It's got to go in uh, the ear and into the heart. Um, St. Uh, Benedict begins his famous rule back in, the, I guess it's the 6th century. He says, listen, my son, with the ears of your heart. And that's what we want to do when we hear the word. Is we want to take that word to heart and then you know, imagine it kind of gets into your bloodstream and it goes to your your various extremities and it transforms and divinizes and logifies us.
0: I could talk to you all day, Chris. My goodness. <laughs> so we're talking to Chris Carson about a devotional journey into the Mass. Just from what you said there, the, the fact that now we are prepared, we're so transformed. We're not even to that point where we proclaim it, but it's through, with, and in Him. I mean, we're right in that. So when the offertory comes, usually we're scrambling to find some money to give the kids to give to the basket that's coming around. But yet that is the moment where he's in us, and this is the time to give him everything. I mean, all the pains, all the worries. And it, I mean, how. How often do we run to, I don't mean to belittle this, and I say this in all reverence, but we go to conferences and this and that and the other thing to try to find relief, and yet here, right in the Mass, you have that opportunity if you want to participate in it.
1: Yeah, the, the Offertory is, uh, boy, I think it is really one of the high points of the Mass. And what it's, what it's trying to do, the whole point of the Offertory is to get you from the pew up onto the altar, or almost even imagine yourself sitting on the paten, or even one of the the grains within that uh, uh, bread before it's transformed, or when when the priest or deacon pours that water into the chalice, into the wine, he's pouring you and me and our prayers and works and joys and sufferings in there. So that's the objective of this offertory, is to get from the pew up into that chalice. You know, there's... um, This God that we have can take everything from us, our mind, our body, our job, our car, our family, everything. But there's one thing that he cannot get unless we give it to him. And so wouldn't you know it, this is the one thing that he really wants, and that's our love, our will, our choice for him. And so what this offertory is, is, um, you know, if you're getting that $5 bill or 50 dollar bill whatever it is mm-hmm. uh to give to the kids. I mean, that's meant to be kind of an emblem or a symbol of your own heart. I mean, God doesn't need 50 bucks. He needs your heart. And so when the collection plate comes up and it, this is this is our path up to the altar and what we what we try to do uh with our own kids, especially the smaller ones, you know, on on the way to mass or even as we're sitting there uh, in the nave before Mass starts, we say, okay, what are your prayers, works, joys, and sufferings you know, that you might uh, remember in the morning offering? Or what are those things you want to pray for? And you, you know, help the kids to, to kind of bring those to mind, those things that really represent the desires of their heart. And then we even, uh, especially with the smaller ones, although even the older ones do this now, imagine you take your hand, you put it to your heart, and you, you kind of make this throwing gesture, like you're going to throw it up and you're going to land it right in the chalice. And so it's going to be a silly thing. I don't know. That's
0: perfect. But all of a
1: sudden, this, this five-year-old knows more about what to do with the offertory than, unfortunately, uh, many of us who are, who are much older. So that's the idea. How do I get from here into that chalice? And that's what uh, the offertory is about.
0: Now, Chris, I have to say that just the section on how to participate in the Eucharistic prayer in and of itself is priceless. That is a standout. The whole book is phenomenal, but that, I think, is so, so important. I remember reading one, I think it was Sister Ruth Burroughs, the, the great Carmelite spiritual writer, who would say that you could spend a whole lifetime just on the Eucharistic Prayer, and you would still wouldn't be able to complete it because it is an incredible moment in the Mass. But oftentimes, unfortunately, it's one of those things that it can pass by the doors of our heart.
1: Yeah, it's, I think this really is the the high point of of the Mass, and it's really it's really related to this Offertory. You know, if the Offertory is preparing the gift, and the gift is your heart then the Eucharistic prayer is preparing the giver. And what um, everybody at uh, his or her baptism is we become shares in the priesthood of Jesus. And this isn't always to diminish the the um, ministerial priesthood of uh, the ordained priest, but all of us become then, in a certain sense, as priests. And we it's not that we give our hearts to somebody else to give to God, it's up to us to give to God. We all join it together, and we all kind of Put them in the chalice, and through the hands of the ordained priest, he offers them through Jesus to God the Father. But we're emp- we're empowered and enabled to do this not by some grant of, you know, the bishop or the church, but in virtue of our very baptisms. Uh, we are to be priests. You know, one of the uh, one of the words that I think can help explain this uh, for priest is pontifex, which we hear in reference uh, to the pope. But what a pontifex is, is a bridge builder. Is a bridge builder, and Jesus truly is the Pontifex Maximus. He's the greatest bridge builder ever because he bridges this chasm, this divide that is opened up between uh, heaven and earth with original sin. So he comes along and he builds this bridge. He's the Pontifex Maximus, but as uh, we mentioned earlier, I mean he can do it all by himself, but he wants you and me and my kids and, and everybody. To, to become co-workers with him in this project. And so it's really the time for all of the baptized to share in the priesthood of Christ, to kind of stand in the breach, and to do the heavy lifting along with—actually, he does the heavy lifting. We just have to help a little bit in offering ourselves, uh, our hearts to, to the Father.
0: Chris, there's a moment, I think, when I've worked with people that have come back to the church. After they've left for so long, and the one thing that I often hear from them is that they miss the Eucharist so much, but they didn't know why, and they didn't even they can't even explain what it is. It's just that they've missed this, and it was receiving communion. It's that moment of communion that is so extraordinary, and that's the one thing people they just they have to receive communion. It, it's such a gift, isn't it?
1: It is, uh, and it's um, you know, it it really can become whether you're just returning or if you know if we've never left, but we can kind of return our attention to see uh, e- even more deeply what a gift it is. It's so important because it's this moment of intimacy, not just a, a mental or spiritual uh, intimacy, but 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 a truly tangible intimacy with uh, with Jesus. And um, kind of like when we, when we hear Jesus speak to us in the Word and there's this sort of, I don't know, this commingling with, with God and us. You know, what's, I think it's St. Irenaeus, you know, God became like us so that we could become like him. And we, we do this in the reading, but we really can do this through the worthy reception of the Eucharist. Um, St. Augustine ha- imagines this conversation with the Eucharistic Jesus who says to him, I'm not like normal food that when you eat, turns into you, right? So your coffee and donuts and toast that you had this morning is uh, slowly, you know, turning into you. Um, But when we receive the Eucharist, uh, Jesus says to St. Augustine, you turn into me. How remarkable is that? To receive the Eucharist transforms us into Christ. And so is it any wonder (laughs) why, even if this is not entirely explicit Um, But is it any wonder that that is what is missed so much? Uh, God made us for himself, and our heart is restless until it rests in him. Again, I think that's St. Augustine. You know, this is an occasion for our hearts to become and to rest in Christ.
0: The thing is, if we are transformed into him, if we, you know, it's not I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Christ went out. He went out to find the loss to to serve to heal to love to love and to bring people to the Father, and so when we leave or we're dismissed and we've we've encountered him in this way, that too that's part of what you describe in in a way in that dismissal section
1: right this is a very important part of the mass i mean consider this I mean the name mass comes from the very last word ite misa est it means to be sent um, has the same root as missile, actually. You know, we're just kind of blasted out of the church. But it's an odd thing, isn't it, that this, you know, hour-long celebration is identified by the very last word. I have always thought it would be, you know, if we called the basketball game the final buzzer, or if we called, hey, do you want to go to the closing credits tonight? You know, go to a movie. Well, it wouldn't make any sense. But I think that speaks to how important this dismissal is insofar as the whole the whole celebration is identified by this, uh, dismissal. And yeah, it, it's, a very important part. We talked about the doors before, you know, Jesus says, I am the door. I am the gate. Uh, those who enter through me will, will come in and find pasture, but there's an end to that and they will go out. They will go out, uh, and into the world. And that's what the dismissal does. Um, you might remember that um, when, when we started to use this third edition of the Roman Missal, all of the dismissal formulas began with go, 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 go. And in Latin, this word is ite, ite, and it's called an imperative. It's not an invitation to go and have a nice day. It's a command, you know, to, to get out. <laughs> you know, if we consider those those apostles on the uh, Peter James and John again on on Mount Tabor, and this is what Mass hopefully is like for us, is being in the radiant beauty of Jesus. You know, they wanted to hang out there and, and to build uh, 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 you know temples and tents to mark this, but they couldn't. They had to go back. They had to go back into the world, and that's that's what we're called to do too.
0: We've been talking with Christopher Carson's about his book *A Devotional Journey into the Mass*: How Mass can become a time of grace, nourishment, and devotion. And you have been so generous with your time. You have taken us through very, very briefly through this great mystery, this great Mister Goja, this encounter. And yet, I promise you, I promise you, those who are listening, that if you pick up this book, you will find even more. There's even more. And that's why I think it it is so vital. I I mean, I would love for this. I I I talked about RCA before, but I think all catechists should have this because it begins with us. I mean, the, the joy that we receive is really, truly how it will be infectious for others, how they will be drawn to it. Don't you think, Chris?
1: Yeah, I do. This uh, when Pope Benedict describes this mystagogia, he says it, it always has this living, breathing communitarian element with it. It begins with the witnesses of believers, and yeah, if uh, those in formation, whether they're in RCIA or CCD, or our own kids or our friends, if they can see that, boy, something's different about Chris, or someone's different about Chris, then um, that's. That's what attracts people. That's what attracts people. And so seeing the Mass, um, encountering Christ in this way is, uh, is infectious, and other people want to, want to experience what we've experienced.
0: To those parents or family, friends who have loved ones who have drifted away from the church who have drifted away from the mass, and there's an anxiety and a pain in their heart. They, that What can I do? What can I do? And they, they want to study, and which is good, and they want to try to uh, engage them somehow to bring them back. But it really begins first, doesn't it, with us, that if we can go deeper in this thing that we love, that can be more attractive than anything else.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can, and especially you know for our kids. I've I've got kids from age 16 down to uh, about two, and when. Somebody asked my, my four-year-old what he liked most about going to Mass, right? So he's he's the son of a liturgist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he must love going to Mass, right? Our kids don't distinguish between high Mass and low Mass. They they, they distinguish between long Mass and short Mass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, well, I so know they, a lot
0: of adults that do that, too. They, yeah. So
1: when they asked him uh, what he liked most about going to Mass, he said the donuts we get to eat afterwards.
0: Mm-hmm. And I uh,
1: thought, if this kid's saying that when he's... 14 years old. Uh, I bet he's not going to be going to mass at all when he's 24 years old. So how is it that I can help him to see and encounter and experience the reality of the mass that can can change him? So I, you know, we quip about uh, this mass. The book is really about from donuts to divinization. You know, mm. How it is that the real reason for going Mass is, is, hey, donuts is a good start. That's okay. The Holy Spirit works in all sorts of ways. But in the end, you know, we want to be able to go to Mass because it's the most privileged moment where we become divinized, we become sanctified.
0: We're so blessed right now in a period, whether it's in Advent or you're going through Lent, when you have these opportunities to live very vividly, God's interaction in our lives. I mean, we do it, we have that. There's nothing ordinary, of course, about ordinary time, but there, in, in these particular periods, in Lent, and as we move towards Easter, the power, again, we talked about that, of the Paschal mystery, of the graces that are just being poured out from that moment to even to our present moment. And there's no greater opportunity to be able to receive those than at the Mass,
1: you're right, and uh, right too about uh, this privileged uh, time of year. I mean, the, the the liturgical year is kind of like the liturgical week writ large, and so as Sunday is to the week, the Paschal Triduum, Holy Thursday and Good Friday and the Easter Vigil is for the whole year. So, yeah, this is really the epicenter of our faith, and uh, if we can, if we can see Christ and His saving work in these uh, really impressive sacramental liturgical signs. Uh, there's a whole whole host of grace and uh, nourishment and joy that can await us.
0: I wish we had more time. I really do. But uh, Chris, in, in these closing moments, any final thoughts? Well, maybe
1: just uh, I would say to you what I've said to myself and I mentioned before. Uh, It's—this it, will work. It will absolutely work. But only if— um, only if we we, we put forth uh, a little bit of effort. So uh, try these things. And again, they're not, they're not my own inventions by any means. It's just kind of distilling what um, you know, the Church has been working on this for a long time, centuries and millennia, in fact. And if we take some of that wisdom and give it a try, I think we'll be very satisfied with uh, some of the results that we see.
0: Okay, Christopher, thank you so much. And I probably will be thinking about you when I go to Mass. Hmm. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, if this has helped, then uh, thanks be to God. Excellent. Thank you, Chris.
0: With Christopher Carstens, we've gone inside the pages of A Devotional Journey into the Mass, How Mass Can Become a Time of Grace, Nourishment, and Devotion. To learn more about this book, or to obtain a copy, go to sophiainstitute.com, the website for its publisher, Sophia Institute Press. Or you can find it at at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or to download this program, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we ask that you tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling author.